McShane Bible Study, day 119, and we're starting in number 6. And this starts with a Nazarite vow. So if you remember, like Samson, uh, God had told uh, Samson's mother that he should live according to a, a Nazarite vow. John the Baptist lived according to this. It, it was special instructions God gave Moses for having a people be set apart for a time Although those two men, I think, more chose to live a lifestyle that way. Um, where they were keeping themselves away from from certain things in this strong drink, like alcohol. And um, cutting their hair and touching dead bodies are the specific things mentioned. But keeping themselves separated from normal life in order to be consecrated unto the Lord. And so there's a lot of instructions about that. But, the, you know, the, the particulars, and we'll see this, uh, I've read ahead since since I kind of started before you, and you'll see this in the Psalms that we're going to read, that um, it, 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 God cares more. He was establishing the laws, <coughs> certain rules and regulations. God cares more about our heart and our minds and how we're living than the particular things that we're doing. Um, and then the, the chapter ends with a wonderful blessing that's uh, going to be familiar to many people because this is said a lot. I'll, I'll start from 22, which is the instructions of what it is, and then we'll read it. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, so this is a blessing that he is giving the people of Israel from the high priest, right? Mm -hmm. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So this is the special instructions from the high priest in order to put God's blessing on people. So, you know, it's a, it's a good, good thing for us to keep in mind. The Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you and be gracious to you that he lifts up his countenance upon us and gives us peace. That, that's the greatest blessing, that we are living for the Lord, we're seeking the Lord, that, that he <coughs> sees us. You know, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro looking for... How's that scripture go? <laughs> I can't quote it at all. But he's looking for men who seek him, who fear him, right? And uh, and he's and when 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 we come into that unity, we have peace. Right. And now we're gonna do Psalm forty and forty one. So nothing about either Psalm stood out to you. Mm -mm. Mm, okay. So in Psalm forty, a couple things stood out. Verse three: He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So we see David's aware God is doing something new, right? It's a new song, a new day. And so he's aware this is a movement of God. It's not going to look like the old things. And many will see, many will fear God, and many will come to the Lord, trust in the Lord, right? So it's a similar thing. God, God is continually moving his his promises don't change. His word doesn't change. But as he moves, we often understand better what he said a long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's, he is a living and active God. He's not a, a dead God as many treat him. 
Verse 6, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. So, you know, here David's saying this, uh, the scripture, many of the prophets say this. Look, God, yes, God set up the sacrifices and offerings, but you are just using them as dead religion instead of understanding the purpose behind them. And so David understands, you, you haven't delighted in this, but you've given me an open ear. This is a blessing. You've given me this connection with you, and so I'm living life with you. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, your laws within my heart. This is what God wants of us, not a broken, dead law that we live by and then live completely worldly as long as we check these boxes of law, right? That can be the law of Moses. That can be the law of our understanding of Christianity, right? It's a bunch of rules that we follow and we think we're good with God because we follow these rules. Mm -hmm. God says, I'm not interested in that. I want a people who give themselves to me so I can put all of myself in them, right? Mm -hmm. So David had understanding of this. And if we flip to 41, we don't know at what point in David's life this is, but he says something that is kind of interesting. 12, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Did everything David did, did, did everything David do? <laughs> How do I say that? Was everything that David did full of integrity? Do you know? I mean, I know we haven't gotten to reading that yet, but are you kind of aware? No? Well, he did some bad things. So we'll, we'll get there. But he says, because of his integrity, that he's set in God's presence forever. So what kind of integrity is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the fact that he has a heart for God above all. That God has forgiven him the ways in which he's fallen short, but he has not stopped seeking the Lord. And we see that even when David did bad things, when he was called on it, there would usually be a priest or prophet nearby, maybe Nathan, that would say, hey, you are doing wrong. It is not good. It's not godly what you're doing. And he would immediately repent and turn around, ask the Lord forgiveness and say, it's against you and you alone that I've sinned, right? He had a heart to be trained up and transformed by God. All right, and then we're moving to Song of Solomon 4. And, you know, if you just read this, Weston was just asking uh, why he needed so many wives, and so we had a discussion about that. But if you read this just as a fleshly thing, it's just, you know, it doesn't seem like it belongs in the Bible. But if you understand that this is a picture of God or Jesus and his bride, then this is a, a beautiful passage, verses 7 and the first, well, I'll read all of 8. Uh, you can see Christ saying to his bride, which is us, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There's no flaw in you. So he'd just gone around talking about all the different parts of her. And, uh, and then he says, you're altogether beautiful. So every part, so... Us as Christ's bride, every part of us has a unique purpose. We're completely uniquely made to carry a certain aspect of the glory of God that no other person is designed to carry. You see that? And the eternal glory of God 
that will shine forth forever is actually shaped in part by mankind, the one designed to be his bride, the one designed to be his sons. We just talked about Solomon. How could he possibly know 700 wives? How could he possibly know seven, who knows how many kids, at least a thousand, right? How could he possibly know them? He couldn't. So completely selfish. Well, God can know every one of us. And so in that way, Solomon still is kind of a picture of God, right? Because he's not limited like people are. And so he, if, if like, so you, you know, mommy and I have three kids, right? So you're each a different reflection of us. You also have your own uniqueness that that's, we, we marvel at because it's not like either of us, right? But in certain ways, you're all like my, like me or like mommy. So you, you have a, a certain glory that comes from your parents. You have a certain glory that's uniquely to you and, of course, God's glory. So you, you, you're this unique creation that kind of represents something far more than you. Well, each one of us is that for God. God's fullness of eternal glory is in part determined by exactly who makes up his bride, who chooses to be a part of this, who chooses to give themselves to this, to come into perfect unity with God. And so this little little picture in eight, uh, Solomon is saying, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. So he's saying, Lebanon, that's like the the rich area, right? This Lebanon was wealthy. Sire and Tidon, am I saying that right? Um, the wealthy trading areas. Come come out of that. Don't worry about those things of the world. Depart from the peaks of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. All the difficulties that are out there, depart from these things. Come away and be in perfect unity with me. You see how God can be saying that to us as his bride? Mm-hmm. And then we're on to Hebrews 4. And the difficulty I'm having with this is I've already highlighted the entire chapter previously. Usually I use highlights to point out what I want to speak about. But this entire chapter is about entering his rest. And so I think he started this topic yesterday. He's talking about the, the people of Israel were called into entering his rest, but they couldn't trust him. They couldn't believe him. And so that generation had to die off except for the two that did believe in him, right? Now he's talking to Christians in this chapter. And he's saying very specifically that some of us Christians have entered into his rest. And so we're at peace, just the Sabbath rest, you know? On the seventh day, God rested. The Sabbath, we're supposed to rest and just trust in God, right? And he says, some of us have entered this lifestyle of a Sabbath rest, because our lives are completely given over to him. We completely believe in him. We have no worries of anything because he is in control and we are his. He says, now some of you have not entered this rest. And so you still struggle with all kinds of things in the world. Even though you're a Christian, you haven't fully believed You haven't fully accepted. And so he says, for you, you need to strive. 11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by that same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So he's saying, look, there is a possibility. I, I'm going to talk about this tonight. Mommy and I talked about this last night too. It's amazing that this is coming up. Um, there is, it is very possible to enter to the rest of God, to fully believe in him, have faith in him, to fear nothing in this world, and to get our excitement and joy from the Lord and nothing of this world, right? But the world, the enemy, our, our, even our own flesh, are constantly trying to make us um, obsessed with those things, worried about those things, anxious about those things, planning and scheming about those things, right? Desiring those things. And so he says, in order to break out of that, you have to strive to center your life in God, to give your life fully to God, to die to your old life and to live in Christ. So he says, this is a process, just like coming out of Egypt into the promised land was a process, right? For us, Coming out of our old dead life of slavery into the life of a mature son of God is a process. From Passover to Pentecost to uh, Tabernacles, it's a process, right? He says, so you have to strive for God into these things. You have to desire it. You have to believe it and set yourself apart for him like a Nazarite so that you can actually receive this promise these blessings that he, he gave to Moses and Aaron to say to the people, it is his desire for each one of us. But we have to desire it. We have to seek him. But then as we come along this way, as we walk in this way, we come to stop striving. Kind of a, kind of a weird thing. There's like two opposites, right? Mm -hmm. But we stop striving because we know, oh, I'm here. I no longer worry about the things that people around me tell me I need to worry about. I never worry about the things of the world. I trust in the Lord. I put my trust in Him. I only fear Him. I realize He is a source of all blessing. I'm not worried about what I get and what I don't get because He's going to give me everything that is best for me and that will be better than anything I could possibly decide I want. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And now I'm freed up from all the worries of the world and he can use me to bless others and to bring others to know him. And this is for the eternal glory of God. And this becomes a part of our glory throughout all of time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Well, Lord, bless us. Help us strive to enter your rest. Lord, help us to become a people that live in you that care about you and you alone, that fear you and you alone, that believe and seek and receive the full measure of your blessing in our life because our lives are in you and you are Lord over everything. Bless us and keep us, Lord. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. God bless you. <laughs> God bless you.